Hello, and welcome to the DMCA UA podcast. This episode will be a three-part episode, talking to three consulting professionals in different stages of their careers and in different sizes of firms. First up is Jerry Purcell, co-founder and managing director of Value Improvement Associates since 1993. He also works with ICG and Innovation 360 Group and is part of the COVID-19 Working Group, volunteering out of the Ontario Chamber of Commerce. He joins us today to talk about his own personal views in the field of consulting. Hi, Jerry. Thank you for joining us. No problem at all. Thank you for inviting me. So my first question is, what comes to mind when you hear me say something like different sizes of firms? So typically, there are various different kinds of organizations that uh, that are involved in the consulting business. And I guess uh, the two ends of the spectrum are sort of independent consultants and uh, and some of the larger, um, the larger firms. I think each each sort of have different characteristics and focus on different things. But uh, I guess that's the that's the first thing that comes to mind when you uh, when you talk about size. And so, if I I think for for some of the people that have come in and talked to the GMCA and and been at our events, a couple of the names that they throw out for these sizes of firms are independent consultants, like you mentioned. Um, there's boutique consulting firms, and then there's the large international firms, sometimes referred to as the big four. So in, in your opinion, when we're talking about kind of those three terms, um, what's the difference and kind of where where might somebody draw the line between each? Uh, yeah, in terms of uh, where, you know, where they'd like to, uh, to join or not join or what ones might be more attractive or, or otherwise, is that what you're looking for? Right. Or, or even just like what, what makes something big enough to be considered a large firm versus um, a boutique firm kind of thing. Okay. So... Yeah, so I, I guess I would think of the there's, there's being sort of at least three size types. Uh, the independent consultants, uh, who I would actually include, quote, independent practitioners who have uh, a couple of people in a small practice. Uh, they they tend to to sort of come from two different backgrounds, and it sort of reflects the kind of work they do. So one one would be um, individuals are, who are looking at sort of position-based consulting, uh, you know, more like a contractor. Uh, and there's a lot of independent consultants that do that, uh, projects from time to time which, where they're filling a role in a, in a company or, or um, participating in a project as an individual contributor. Advice-oriented consultants who tend to replicate, I guess, a little bit at least, uh, in the, the approach that some of the bigger firms might take or a more traditional management consultant and advisory role. How they go to market is different. The kinds of work that they do is different. Uh, perhaps even the, the, uh, the level of, um, of billing that they can, uh, they can acquire in the market. The middle group called boutique firms, uh, at least in your way you've described it, and I think that's you know, a common way of, of talking about them, tend to be sort of middle-sized, uh, and they tend to focus on particular segments of the market or particular uh, verticals in the market. Uh, in some of the verticals, um, there there are less and less of them, and others there's certainly a healthy mix. So it kind of depends on the on the vertical. But in typically in those environments, they would be I don't know to pick a number, but anywhere from say uh, ten or fifteen people up to fifty or a couple hundred would be a boutique firm. Um, and uh, as I said, they would typically sort of focus on a particular uh, sort of segment, uh, be it an industry like financial services or something, uh, or a vertical like uh, cost reduction or 
or merger and acquisition or, you know, finance or something like that. Right. And so even for some of the people who may be listening that are, say, in engineering or something like that, there might be um, a vertical that ends up being mechanical engineering or something like that, maybe. Yeah, absolutely. Or consulting uh, and uh, engineering kind of mixed in a in a small firm where there's the sort of design people, so to speak, and then the consulting engineers. So there's, yes, so so that would be an example of a, of a sort of a, of a vertical type of approach to things. Um, and then the large uh, firms, not all large firms are international, but I think a lot of them are. And they would tend to be um, often thousands of people. They, they kind of come in different, different stripes, depending on you know, the focus areas as well, that there, there would be organizations that um, have their genesis from, um, from accounting firms. And there's been some ins and outs uh, in different markets around, um, you know, um, the mix between advisory and financial uh, services and those kind of things. And each market sort of is a different place in terms of the rules. Um, but there are a number of, of consulting firms that, that came from within or have now become part of uh, financial um, uh, you know, accounting type firms, and you can think of it. In fact, when you when you refer to the big four, that typically refers to, uh, at least historically, has referred to those kind of companies. Um, and then there's the technology oriented companies that uh, that are involved um, often in sort of large uh, technology implementation, technology type um, design projects, and they have a sort of an advisory uh, end as well. Um, the work tends to be connected to uh, uh, those, those kind of technology projects. Projects tend to be larger, but they also have sort of strategy components and, and practices within, within the organizations that, uh, that uh, work with uh, the broader organization. And then I would I have a, a category, I broadly call them strategy firms, and, and uh, firms like McKinsey and, um, and Bain and BCG and a number of others uh, sort of focus in in that area, and it's not to say that the strategy firms don't have uh, offerings or or teams that work inside some of the technology areas, for example, or in operations or finance stuff. But they would traditionally have come from a strategy starting place uh, and would be more strategic, I think, and more focused on the top of the house in very large global organizations than perhaps some of the others would be. Uh, and the kind of offerings that they would uh, they would bring to the market would typically be different. And so for a company that does something in, say, strategy, so when you talk about strategy, are you talking about these, these are companies that advise another company on kind of how to, um, how to operate on a day-to-day basis? Uh, yeah, I, there's, there's different kinds of strategy, um, but yes. Um, and I, I, think, I think one of the so differentiators would be related to, you know, call it corporate strategy, which would be the top of the house uh, the broader kind of large corporate strategy work, uh, which would tend to be, um, at least often is, the remit of places like BCG and McKinsey and whatever, particularly in big, large companies. And business strategy, which would tend to be more focused on uh, a division or a line of business or something. Um, but yeah, I think I think in both cases, um, there would be a mix of players in it, but it certainly would be the the sort of traditional place where the McKinsey's and the BCG's would, would operate. And then some of the other firms that I mentioned would, uh, would play a role in those, particularly if they had a, well, first of all, legally, if they were able to. And secondly, if they had a large relationship within the organization that it might be 
the case that they would also be working on the sort of strategic side of things with the with the leadership of the company. And so, moving on from kind of the the overarching ideas of these different types of firms, what um, what types of people, in in your experience, um, end, end up at these types of firms? Like, are are there different types of people who are more drawn towards working with larger firms? Is there a certain type of person who kind of works better with a boutique firm uh, versus an independent firm? Um, from your experience, uh, what what have you seen from people? Um, I think there's a couple of factors that uh, that play in the decisions that people make to go to a firm or another firm or, or perhaps should. And in my discussions with those coming out of school looking to make a decision around going to a particular firm, I often suggest that they think about uh, some of these things. Like so, so the first one I think is um, the culture of the firm. So different firms absolutely have different cultures and different uh, underlying rules of engagement. Um, so there's a, a traditional one that may or may not exist anymore, the sort of broader up or out kind of approach to things. So it's traditionally some of the, the strategy houses have worked around a model where individuals would, would come in out of, out of uh, uh, grad school or out of uh, undergrad uh, into the organization and, and sort of work their way up through the levels. And at some point in their career, it would be determined that uh, perhaps they weren't going to continue to, to grow as a consultant, and then they would be asked to leave. That is not typically, or is not the case in a number of other types of consulting organizations. So you can work your way up to a level and then maintain yourself at that level, say director or whatever it is, manager, uh, for quite some time in, in other kinds of organizations, whereas in, in, uh, in some the sort of upper road approach uh, uh, applies. And so finding out things like that are important to know depending on what your aspirations are as a, as a consultant. And, and many people enter into the consulting space looking for an experience uh, for you know four or five years. And in that case, the upper road really doesn't make any difference. If you're looking to make a long-term career out of it, then some of that might, uh, might be more important, uh, more important to you. The other thing that I would look for uh, in looking at a, a firm uh, would be the nature of the work that they do. And so that's, I think, also where uh, the individual person's approach to things, their background, uh, their kind of persona, I guess if you look at it from a, from a psychology perspective, comes to play. So, um, you know, organizations that have very large projects typically have larger teams and then they have more disparate backgrounds that would be deployed um, so, uh, you know, the IT um, approach or, or a de development of a system or the project management stuff takes a certain kind of person and the um, uh, other, other, sorts of, uh, other sorts of work, perhaps a more analytical one. And then the other thing that I would add is that you'd want to look at the organization in terms of its uh, sales culture. In some organizations, there's an expectation that uh, everybody plays a role in the selling of the consulting work. And in others, um, it may not happen at all uh, or be required at all or, or may be required later on as you get more senior. So some people's personalities and some people's um, aspirations don't include uh, selling uh, consulting. And so that would also be something that I would think about. And just to refer back to your earlier question around uh, the, the boutiques and independence, it's one of the things that people want to have their own shingle and put it out have to think about because there aren't any, there isn't anybody else that can sell for you. You'd have to sell for yourself. You have to be prepared to be able to handle that yourself. 
Um, and that is one of the both challenges and positive things about running your own little uh, consulting business. And so really it's aside from, I guess, when as a firm gets smaller, there's more things that people could end up being doing. And then as you get to an independent consultant, they're kind of doing all the things that other employees could be doing. Um, so is it when you look at the boutique firms and the and the larger firms, is it is it more something to do with the the firm itself, like looking at individual firms and comparing them together versus saying, oh, this one's bigger, so it has a different culture based on just that? Yeah. So I think there's a couple things that uh, might encourage someone to think about a bigger firm versus a smaller one, uh, the f- uh, and and then each firm would be slightly different in terms of how they would do it. So bigger firms uh, tend to have uh, a path to training, like an, uh, some kind of uh, apprenticeship process, really, uh, where individuals sort of uh, join and become an apprentice consultant for a period of time, might be several years, where they learn how to be uh, a consultant. And there's those who don't know will know as soon as they get into it that there is a difference and there are, is a skill set that goes with being a consultant that you don't have typically right off the bat. And uh, so that's an important aspect of uh of what, uh, of what kind of experience you want. And um, you can't really get that in a boutique on your own or a, you know, an independent consultant. You have to sort of learn at the knee of the master kind of to, uh, to learn some of that stuff. Uh, and then at some later time, um, you know, go out on your own and set up your, set up your shingle and like that. Um, the, the second aspect of it, I think, is, uh, and it's, it's part of the approach that different companies have, some consulting companies will um, bring people in and the first few years of their uh, engagement at the, at the organization will be very diverse in terms of background of clients, the kind of work that's done, more sort of general learning the skills of a consultant. And other firms focus on a particular vertical. So you, you get hired into the financial services practice or the, I don't know, uh, the IT um, uh, practice or digital um, you know, experience or whatever it is. Uh, and that's where you focus your, your time and attention. My personal view is that uh, often people coming out of school have a particular bias towards what they'd like to do when they grow up, kind of. And I still haven't figured myself out what I want to, what I want to do. Um, but but uh, they, you, you uh, and in fact make decisions that are not entirely uh, fact based because it's based on bias. So my view is that some experience at the beginning of the career in some different areas might open up uh, an opportunity or a, an idea that they haven't, hasn't occurred to them. They might've gone in thinking that banking is their thing and, and discover the oil and gas business and find that this is just an incredible place. I'd love to be able to make my career here kind of thing. And you wouldn't have known that unless you'd had exposure to different kinds of clients. Okay. I, I think that's actually a really good, um, a good point to finish off with then. So, and that's all the questions that I have for, for you for this segment. So thank you very much, Jerry, for, for being a part of it. No problem at all. Stay tuned for our next two segments where we'll be talking to Knut Olsrud and Wayne Villegas, both local Edmonton consultants. Well, welcome back to the GMCA UA podcast. I'm now here with Wayne Villegas, who has worked in consulting for over five years and is now the owner of his own independent firm called Wavy Consulting. Thank you for joining us, Wayne. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Trevor. So I guess I'll start off following up with something that I talked to Jerry about in the last segment of the episode. And we we were talking about um, independent consultants versus boutique consultants versus um, 
large international style firms. And so I was going to talk to you a little bit more about um, being in that kind of independent consultant field. So is an independent consultant anyone who does consulting on behalf of themselves rather than a larger organization? Yeah, that's exactly it. Um, so yeah, there's like you said, there's pretty much two two main types of consulting. One is with the uh, the larger firms, like the the big. Well, there's kind of three different types. One is the larger firms, so the big four, the Deloitte, PwC, KPMG, Price Waterhouse, those those type companies. So large scale, they have offices in pretty much every country in the world, uh, hundreds of thousands of employees. So that's that's one type of consulting. Um, the second type is with kind of the smaller, medium-sized shops. There's there's actually quite a few, like you said, boutique-type shops that have um, anywhere from just a handful, like maybe five to a uh, hundred, couple hundred people. Uh, and then there's the the third category is kind of the independent consultants, which are consultants that are basically just doing their own work, finding their own um, contracts and projects, and just just doing them one at a time by themselves. In my case, I'm starting the independent consultant route, and there's a possibility of hopefully down the future, there's enough work hiring more people and growing to that kind of smaller, medium size. So it's not that you have to stay in kind of one bucket, but uh, that's that's generally how they're how they're categorized right now. Right, and so is it is it kind of the goal of most independent consultants when that once they get going to build their own boutique firm eventually, and then kind of get basically a bigger and bigger. Uh, not necessarily, honestly. Um, as you get, as you spend more time in the working world, you see that um, people have to try and fit their personal lives around their work. So some people, their number one, like it goes back to kind of what drives you. So some people, their driver is to just keep growing and becoming bigger and getting more sales and projects. And if that's your passion and that's what drives you, then those types of people, they that's exactly what they do. They start, they start by themselves, find uh, project for themselves end up finding more work more contracts and then obviously you only have limited hours in the week so then you need to start hiring more people to to do other work for other clients and other projects um, so that's what drives some people but there are other people that like they just like the the independence of not having to report to anybody you're, you're your own boss like I said uh, it depends on your drive some people have been to to build bigger uh, consulting firms so they they want to get more projects and more contracts and obviously you have limited limited time in your week so that's when the, those types of individuals are, are looking to hire more people and to expand their business uh, and to grow the practice so that's that's one type of individual and one type of mindset uh, and there's the other type of mindset that is people that um, just want to do their own thing they they want to be their own boss they want to manage their own time um, they, they don't want to necessarily be in a corporate environment that's already uh, dictated for them. So those type of people enjoy just finding their own projects. Whenever they find feel like doing work, they'll do work. Whenever they, they don't, they don't have to work. So um, there's there's literally two different types of people that exist. Um, it, it just comes down to, to your type of personality and like I said, what drives you. And does it does it take a, a specific type of person to to get into independent consulting? I, th I feel like um, some a lot of the people that I've talked to in the past uh, that are either in consulting, getting into consulting, etc. It seems to be kind of rare for people to start out like say their first um, when they first get started in consulting, they're they're an independent consultant right away. It seems like a lot of people tend to kind of get into independent consulting after getting started in another type of firm. Um, what's your thought on that? 
Yeah, for sure. So I actually don't know anyone that's started in independent consulting. And the reason is you need to kind of learn. It's like anything. You need to, to learn the ropes before you, you jump off and do your own thing. So the majority of people will start in some sort of a firm, whether it's a small, medium size or a, or a large firm. They'll, um, they'll typically be there for a few years just to, to see how everything works. Uh, they'll typically see everything from, from delivering projects and doing actual project work to spending time with partners and, and more of the senior, senior manager level people and learning how sales works. And only once, typically only once you have a really good grasp of everything from project delivery all the way up to how to sell and find work. Usually once you've, once you've seen all that and you feel comfortable in your, your own skill set and your, your network of people, which is also really important, um, that's typically a, at a, a point where people start to at least think about doing their own thing. But um, even at that point, like independent consulting comes with its own risks because you're, you're basically out on your own. If, if you don't find work or if you don't have a project, like you're, you're not getting paid. You're, you're getting paid by the hour. So it's critical to find those projects. Basically comes down to your your comfort level. So um, there are some people that uh, when they're new when they're new to consulting, it it helps to have a bunch of other eyes on your work and other people doing quality assurance, like senior managers and partners, giving you feedback on on the work you're doing and, and giving you pointers on how to do it better. But um, at a certain point, basically you you feel comfortable enough in your work product that you uh, want to try venturing out on your own. And that's, uh, that's typically when people make that leap to independent consulting. So do you feel like you have more freedom as an independent consultant, as somebody who's working with a firm? Yeah, without a doubt, uh, in terms of everything, uh, hours, the type of work, uh, location of work, you can choose where you want to work, you know, reporting structure, you're your own boss. Yeah, in terms of all aspects, it's, it's basically you have complete freedom. And so do you think it would have been easier for someone in your situation where you have an independent firm versus somebody who was in, say, a larger firm to kind of go through this transition process with COVID-19, for example? Uh, you know what? Honestly, the, the firms, the bigger, the larger firms are all pretty much mobile nowadays. So that's where I got really used to it. So in most of these firms, you basically only have a laptop because you're constantly at client sites and you're like at, at Deloitte, as an example, there was no desktop. So you literally pack up your laptop at the end of the day and take it home. Um, you had a tiny little cubicle for your shoes or whatnot, but like you, you left nothing in the office. So that lifestyle of, of constantly just having a laptop and moving around, that kind of prepared me for this. I, I'm super used to working from home now because of that. Um, so in, in both environments and even most companies today, like even larger non-consulting organizations are all moving to more of a mobile workforce, people working from home with just a laptop. But uh, it does come with a social trade-off. Like obviously you can't see your colleagues or go out for, for a drink at the end of the week and that type of stuff, which is uh, pretty tough for some people. That's interesting. I hadn't really thought of the, the whole social aspect of being in a basically a, a group of people going to work together versus somebody who's on their own working. Um, do you still have work relationships stay with, say, with um, other independent consultants or, or, or other, maybe even clients? I, I don't know, probably don't have that kind of relationship with a client per se, but um, do you still have those kind of relationships with people? Yeah, for sure. Um, relationships to me, like in, in what I do is, is pretty much everything. So uh, the, 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 the lines of client versus uh, 
your boss and all that kind of stuff to me all blends together because even if at one point they they were that one title to you like people move and shift throughout their career so um like i still as an example deloitte had a uh, a virtual kind of drinks hour they just kind of met over skype and had a bunch of drinks um over skype or teams now microsoft teams but they invited me to it and i popped in and said hi to everybody and they're still good friends of mine and um, there's people that used to work at Deloitte that are now clients, um, and I, they work for random companies around in Edmonton and we still go out for, for lunches and that type of stuff. Obviously this is pre COVID, but, um, yeah, like anybody that I've worked for or with in any capacity, I'm still very much in touch with, uh, to this day. And I guess the next question I had was to, to kind of go back to when we were talking about heading into independent consulting from say another firm because you said that in in your experience you've never you've never met somebody who had gone straight into independent consulting so what kind of um stages in somebody's career do they usually enter um, independent consulting or is it is just different for everybody um yeah like it kind of goes back to one of the previous comments i had about you need a certain level of experience to to make that leap so typically it is people that go through the large organizations, some people that um, have just worked in industry for random companies. At a certain point, they, they feel like they've gained enough advice and experience that they can go out and do consulting for that specific niche area. So I'll give a random example, like when this whole cannabis thing started coming out, um, Alberta or government of Canada is legalizing cannabis. So that in itself poses a whole bunch of new challenges for businesses. Consulting can be for any, like literally anything. So when the government approved the legalization of cannabis, um, companies now had to think differently about their, their policies around if you're at work and there was obviously policies around you can't drink at work, but what does a workplace look like with the legalization of cannabis? So there are some people that have been in that cannabis space that just decided to start doing, they knew enough about business and cannabis that they decided to start a consulting practice literally to educate businesses about what good practices and policies around cannabis and workplace settings um, should be in place for organizations. Right. So I guess if, if somebody was looking to get into a specific field of consulting, then it would help a lot for them to have a lot of specific experience with that area, even if they didn't necessarily have say 20, 30 years of experience in consulting per se. Yeah, for sure. Um, honestly, like consulting is just a super generic term. That means you're providing advice to people. Mm -hmm. So if you feel comfortable in the level of advice that you're providing, you think you know enough about a product or a service and you think that you're worth the rate that you're charging your client, then you can go start a consulting practice today. I think that's a really good point to end off on actually. Thanks so much for, for being with us today. No worries. Thanks a lot, Trevor, for, for your time. And uh, you guys put on a lot of really great events. I know um, Jason quite well, and I've been at a few of your uh, kind of drinks and network sessions. So uh, looking forward to, to hopefully catching up with you guys when, uh, when the world resumes. Welcome back to the GMCA UA podcast. Our next guest here on this episode is Knut Ulsrud. He has worked since 2014 with large firms like MNP and KPMG, and he joins us today to talk about his own personal views in the consulting field. Welcome, Knut. Thank you, Trevor. 
Um, so the first question I have is kind of following up with a question we had earlier in the episode, um, an answer that was given by Jerry. And he mentioned that the numbers of people kind of in a scale of people who are at different sizes of firms. Um, so he's talked about in independent consultants, of course, being a single firm, those boutique size firms being between two and 200 people. And then the biggest firms can be up to thousands of people. Mm -hmm. um, so to kind of follow up with that, um, what makes somebody an organization that makes them the big four? Uh, that is a good question, and it goes beyond just how many people are in specifically the consulting practice. So Big Four um, actually refers to the four biggest global um, professional services firms. Um, so they are um, KPMG, um, EY or Ernst & Young, PwC or PricewaterhouseCoopers, um, and Deloitte. Um, and so just as a funny side note, three of them are just the abbreviations of the names of their, their founders. The same is true for KPMG. Um, other than that, names don't really mean anything. Uh, but so that's what the big four uh, mean. They are simply the biggest four professional services firms. Um, and professional service firms means that they have audit, tax and advisory um, and management consulting falls under advisory. So in the context of big four, um, that means something much bigger than consulting itself, but consulting is an important and integral part of the services that these big firms offer. Large scale firms, a lot of the time they're based around things like strategy, accounting, financial services, things like this. And you touched upon this a little bit in your previous answer, mm -hmm. but um, give us a, a little bit of a scope of, of the things that these um, biggest firms are, are kind of, they base their work around. Sure. Um, so, so to kind of start with those three buckets, you have uh, audit, which is doing the financial year-end audits, kind of like we do our personal taxes. They would, uh, the big firms do that just for companies. It tends to be bigger companies um, because the bigger firms are also usually more expensive. Then you have tax advice, which is kind of around structuring companies and activities so that uh, they're optimizing the tax that is being paid. And then there's advisory, which is advising businesses on, well, you mentioned a few things like strategy, technical innovation, or in implementation of, of technology, such as, uh, for instance, systems that manage employees and transactions and so on. I am, of course, again, in management consulting, so there's others who can speak in much more detail than I can about uh, audit and tax, uh, but I can kind of build out more on that detail on on the consulting side. In addition to, to the big four, of course, there are also big management consulting firms that specialize more in kind of the strategy consulting. You have the McKinsey and, and Boston Consulting Group um, are, are two examples of that as well. Um, and so kind of how the big four, my experience with, with the bigger firm two firms too, is that um, they diversify a little bit in terms of what services they offer also within consulting and advisory. Um, so providing broader services uh, than the more specialized, tailored management consulting firms as well. And so for perspective, for people who may be listening to the podcast, who may be in, say, um, grad school in sciences or in engineering or even in health sciences, for these bigger type of firms, are there positions that may be open to people like that? Or is it more towards like the, the business and more strategy based sides? Uh, that's a really good question. Um, so 
My, I myself have um, a background in, in economics and uh, public administration. So not your kind of classical business, uh, Bachelor of Commerce or MBA kind of stereotype of, of consulting. So, so there, there are two things at play here. One is kind of the people who are interested in consulting and want to make that their career often go into business oriented educations um, that will also help prepare them for that type of career. So on the one hand, you have people who are interested in self-selecting. On the other hand, some of the things in consulting, such as strategy work, lend themselves well to how MBAs are structured. And there's a little bit of a feedback loop in that MBAs will obviously tailor their content to preparing their students for careers in these big firms. Um, so, so in that sense, you can say that there is a bit of a bias towards the MBA. On the other hand, um, the skills that, in, in my opinion, that you need to succeed in consulting isn't just beholden to MBA students. In fact, having people with a science background and, um, you know, whether that's social sciences or more technical things like engineering or uh, with a biology background or chemistry even, they bring different perspectives and different mental models to the job. Um, so, so really what we do as consultants is we use kind of what, what makes us more efficient at our job is having mental models that allow us to solve problems quickly for the businesses that we work with. So an example that, that, uh, that I use a lot of mental model that I have from school is um, supply and demand. It's very simple. You can view things in terms of supply and demand, which is from my economics background. Um, now, I also work with a physicist who happens to think in terms of entropy. So the most efficient strategy that should be selected is the one that minimizes entropy. And, you know, obviously that's not something we say directly to the client, but we all have these inner mental models that help us do our job. What I'm saying is, sure, the MBA teaches you many basic business mental models, but in sciences, there are many other ways of understanding the world. So theories and framework that will help you become a really efficient consultant, as long as you learn the skills of a management consultant. Basically all about how you apply your skills. Exactly. That's very well said. To kind of transition into the career aspect of it. So for somebody who wants to get involved with um, one of these larger firms, um, what are some things that you can recommend to either get themselves noticed or, or to make an, an effective name for themselves for an, an effective uh, application? Mm -hmm. uh, so there are a few things you can do to, to increase your chances uh, of being noticed and, and being accepted when you, when you apply. One is to really do um, do your homework. And so listening to this podcast is a great first step. Um, but uh, what I mean by that is understand what consulting, management consulting is about before you go into it. And the reason that is so important is that um, many, we, we see this in many applicants that don't necessarily have a full grasp of the job that they're actually applying for. Uh, and this is a challenge because management consulting is indeed a very demanding job. Um, that require you to be to to really um, dedicate yourself to, to the job. And so if the motivation to apply was just, oh, that's a really cool career and it sounds prestigious and all my friends are doing it, you know, that, that's a very, very extreme example. I'm not saying that happens a lot, uh, but when that happens, people are kind of taken aback by the realities of consulting. Like it isn't glamorous. Uh, you're not going to advise executives on your first week at the job. And as, when you come in as an analyst, you do a lot of the kind of heavy lifting grunt work analysis, um, take notes from, from meetings, and you, you're, you're the, 
the person who does a lot of that, that grunt work. Um, and so understanding that and understanding how you can apply your skills to be successful is, is extremely important. So really do your homework in that, in that regard uh, will give a much better impression. Uh, another thing you can do is, and this you know, will also help you on the first one, is to just to network and talk to, to consultants at, at every level whether that is um, a consultant, senior consultant, manager, all the way up. Uh, if you can get to a partner, you know, great, but they're very busy people, so it might be challenging. But just kind of get your name known, uh, because then the next time there's a hiring round, if you were noticed, maybe you're notif uh, notified by this person. I've done this in the past. Talk to people I know and said, hey, we're, we're going to hire now. Um, are you interested? And uh, it, it will just kind of help you as well make that decision for yourself if whether it is uh, to understand whether consulting is right for you. Building a network is, is really useful. And, and yeah, the final thing that I was going to say was building any sort of related experience is, is also very helpful. So in the field that I work, for instance, in, in advanced analytics and, and data, it's often, this field often requires a little bit of experience, even on top of school, to, to even come in at an entry level. Um, and so working in a different firm, whether it's a boutique or, or otherwise, or um, just getting practical experience in the public or private or even NGO sector, any experience that relates to the job that you're applying for is going to help you. And having had some work experience from before makes you more likely to be successful. Um, in fact, so the reason I hesitated, I was thinking back to the people who've done really well and, and the people who have a bit of experience just statistically tends to do better uh, at the job than, than people who come right out of school. So, so that's also something to consider. And would you find that people who end up at um, a larger firm end up with a more specialized skill set than they would, say, at a smaller firm? Because I know when we were talking to, to Wayne earlier, he, he mentioned that as an independent consultant and as a very um, small firm, you kind of have everybody doing everything, especially if you are an independent consultant, you, you are the whole firm. So do you yeah. find that people end up being more specialized if they're in a larger firm or is it, is it something different than that? Um, so it depends on what, um, it's, a, it's a really good question. It depends on uh, what level you consider specialization in. If you are, so just as a mental example, so if, the, if you're in a boutique firm that does forestry work, then obviously you're specialized in forestry, uh, but then you're also doing everything from start to finish on that project, whether that's analysis, project writing, um, strategy, strategic planning, anything related to forestry. So in that case, you're super, in my mind, you're super specialized, but then you're also good at the different parts of the consulting workflow. Now, whereas if you're in a big firm, um, it might be the specialization. Okay, so this is where I'm going to. The specialization is a little bit more skill-based than knowledge-based. So what that means is, for instance, uh, you might be working as a uh, data engineer, uh, and that is your calling. And your many projects have different analytics projects have different steps that require different roles. So data engineer is the person who um, prepares data and cleans it before someone makes a model out of it. Um, so you might be just the data engineer, and you're doing that across different projects, whether that, you know across forestry, across uh, utilities and, and other areas. So that is one way that specialization can, can differ. Uh, another thing that also matters is the size of the office. Um, so in Edmonton, uh, where I'm working, we are what we call a regional practice. Uh, and that means that the market isn't necessarily big enough for us to be super specialized. So 
in places like Toronto, people can make a career out of being a data engineer and consulting. In Edmonton, at least in the context of uh, my experience, that's a little harder. Uh, and so you have to then generalize across uh, the different steps of, uh, of the project. So in, in my example, that would be kind of things like data engineering, data governance, data science, visualization. You kind of have to understand all of those. So more of the kind of full project scope. Um, which again, we're full circle aligns back to, to what you what you said at first. Um, so it's just, so what I'm saying is it's not just the kind of big firm firm versus small firm. It's also about where in geographically you are situated and what market you are operating in. And you also have to consider specialization in terms of both kind of subject matter field and technical skills as well. So I hope I didn't muddy the water too much there, but uh, there's kind of there's there's lots of nuance in there. <laughs> A lot of a lot of different factors. Exactly, and it all depends on how you define specialization as well. So I guess for 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 somebody listening, it's not it's not necessarily if you are in a bigger firm, it's you are going to be more specialized. It, it, there are a lot of different kind of factors that come into play. You may be more specialized in your skill set, but less specialized in the actual field that you're in. For example. For example, yeah. Um, and, and one thing that's really important to consider as well is that um, it is very, at least in, in what I've seen in my experience, it's very unlikely or uncommon that you specialize within the first year, couple years of being a consultant. And that's true, especially for, for big firms, because there you're put on the projects where you are needed a little bit irrespectively. Um, well, I mean, obviously motivation is taken into account and preferences, but uh, at the end of the day, the decision is also made a couple of steps above you. Uh, and so what that means is that over time, as you build experience and as you're then selected again for similar projects, you tend to build a specialization over time. So for someone coming out right out of school and saying, okay, I'm only going to do work in let's say fraud analytics for healthcare you know that's super narrow and the first thing that you'd, you'd hear is yeah okay that's great we'll look out for those projects in the meantime here is something else that we can use your skill set uh, to to work on um, so specialization is also quite organic in that sense uh, it's not necessarily something you decide on uh, on day one it's something that develops and evolves across your career and uh, as you get more exposure and experience with different projects and clients so i actually wish that i could have a little bit more space for a couple more questions but um, that's probably going to be all the time that we have sure <laughs> thank you so much for um for being a part of the podcast no problem. Thanks for thanks for having me. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the GMCA UA podcast. I've been Trevor Johnson. Make sure you tune into our next episode where Lily will be discussing the topics of knowledge, skills, and attitude with a different group of consultants. <laughs>